Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Keys to Financial Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Marika Steimack. I'm an author, life coach, and app creator. We're going to dig deeper into the 40 simple concepts I've come up with in my book, Keys to Financial Confidence, Unlock Your Best Life. Here, you are going to finally figure out what living your best life means for you and how to set up your financial situation to get there. You are here for a reason, you want change, and you want to learn how. Let's dig in. Hey, everybody. Joining us today is Brian Haney, a seasoned professional in the financial services business, and together we will uncover the keys to understanding your wants and needs establishing clear financial goals, and overcoming self-imposed guilt. So get ready to discover strategies that will help you unlock a path to having everything you want in life. I know that's a big goal, but trust me, it's worth exploring. So give this episode a listen. Okay, can we backtrack? Can you just tell me why you're the world's most embarrassing dad? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just my philosophy to parenting. If you're not going to have fun doing it, then it's not worth doing. And part of me is probably still a teenager inside. And the more my daughter kind of resists it, it seems like that draws more of that out. So I will say, in all fairness to her, if she ever listens to this one of these days, that I have tried to intentionally scale some of the embarrassing stuff back quite a bit now that she's a true blue 14-year-old. And I, I do understand. I don't want to set her at a disadvantage in her social circle. That's so funny that you call yourself that and you just claim that. Good for you. Whatever. All dads are embarrassing to kids until they get older and then they recognize like what superheroes dads are. So as your side hustle, you have the Haney Company. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And what is that? What do you guys do there? So we do a little bit of everything for our biggest marketplace, which is associations. Everything from employee benefits and retirement plans to property and casualty insurance. And then we also work with privately owned businesses doing all of the same stuff. And then kind of families, absolute families, entrepreneurs, individual investors, you name it. And that's where I can do anything from helping someone invest money, figuring out insurance, putting together a financial plan. So it's a little bit of everything. We try to be kind of a full service type of operation. So we operate independently. It gives us a lot of capacity to help anyone out in a variety of ways. So so you must get a lot of people that come in with certain wants and certain desires and dreams, and you're the one to make it happen for them, or at least assist in making it happen. Yeah, I think I do spend quite a bit of time trying to do that, facilitate, but also help people be more connected to themselves, sometimes connected to reality. Sometimes we have certain fantasies about the way things are going to play out and just kind of level setting that a bit to actualize something and also to really be strategic. That's a critical element. There's not a single successful person that I've worked with that's just kind of ad hoc rolling with the punches. Everyone that I know that's financially successful does have a strategy that's pretty concrete and grounded in what they do need, what they want, and how they need to have a system to go about experiencing it for themselves. Do you think it's healthy 
to have these desires to want certain things? A hundred percent. I mean, it's who we are as human beings, I think, to think that we can be completely dispassionate, that everything's just kind of logical. There's some kind of a math box. And once you're in that box, that's the key. It's just not really how things work. There is a need to be dispassionate with your money in a lot of ways, but that doesn't mean that emotions and passion doesn't play a role. And in fact, I would suggest this is true, I think, for great entrepreneurs, great success stories, and frankly, great financial success stories that passion should be woven in because it, it becomes more the fuel that keeps you going and keeps you on track to accomplish your goals, your objectives, to stay true to your strategy. If you're not that passionately connected to it, it is easy to kind of get off track or get derailed or just get complacent. Oh, completely. And so what if someone just feels they can't be passionate about something because they don't have the financial means to do the things that they want? What does that person do? I joke sometimes in certain circles that say, what do I really do for a living? I'm part teacher and part therapist. 50% teacher, 50% therapist, right? Because the question that you ask is so good, but I challenge people on that. First of all, yes, I do money for a living. So you'd hope I'm somewhat passionate about it, but no, that same capacity to be passionate about money probably doesn't permeate everyone. So I really try to help People step away though and say, well, what are the things in life that you are excited about? And it's usually things about living, things that you want to do. Most of it is not just those things, but also the people that you want to do those things with. Yeah. And that's where it's like, well, you know, obviously all of that vision and those desires, it's not free. Some of it may be, right? But there's a financial component usually to all of that. So Let's then come back to the reality of well, how can your money facilitate that? Yes. And that helps, I think, really get people to see their money differently because no, paying bills, having a budget, doing the very basic fundamental things that we kind of intuitively know, yeah, I need to do this, but no, it doesn't get me excited. I don't roll out of bed saying, oh, I'm going to go check mint.com this morning and just see how I'm doing on my spec. That probably doesn't jazz anybody up. I get that. And that's fine. In fact, if it didn't, it might be a little weird, but it's more about, no, these are the things that I'm not going to get excited about, but I'm going to do because they will point me to the things that I really am excited about and passionate for. Mm -hmm. And Usually it also helps when you work with a professional on some level. It doesn't have to be a financial advisor. There's a lot of types of help that you can get in moving across your financial journey, so to speak. But it does help having people kind of walk with you in that journey because I think you do need somebody that'll help you see yourself differently, step outside of yourself, someone that can be objective and help guide you along the way. So how do you help guide people to figure out what they want? Yeah, I think we spend a lot of time. I do things like vision casting, which sounds a little strange and maybe a little woo-woo for some, but I think it's really, and no, it's not, I'm not sitting in an office with some kind of music playing or whatever when we're doing it, but it's having that kind of conversation to say, okay, 
maybe close your eyes for a minute and start to visualize, you know, we talk about retirement. If you're young, the thought of retiring and being old, it's not something maybe you can fantasize a lot about. But then I'm like, well, let's make it more personal. What are the things that you would want to save up for that you're really jazzed about doing right now? Yeah, I want to take that trip to Europe and visit Budapest and Barcelona because I've just always wanted to go. I think that those would be amazing. Okay, great. Let's think about that component of life and try to get a visualization for if that's something that you really want to do repeatedly at some point in the future. Maybe that's how we start to connect to this, this vision of where can I be going as I age and as I work, make money and build wealth, whatever happens, how can it be purposeful and be poured into usually experiences, right? And so we're creatures of experience. And the more time that you can have these types of images in your mind and that you can kind of dream, then my job is really just to keep you connected to that dream and say, all right, let's work to create a framework to make it a reality. So that way it's not just a dream. You're also coming from like a non-objective, unbiased viewpoint, whereas sometimes when you speak with a family member or a friend, they want to give their two cents. And sometimes you just want to have someone listen to you that is just going to listen to you and then help you come up with a plan. Yeah, 100%. You know, I always tell everybody I'm in the role where it's not my money. So at the end of the day, I'm really only here to tell you this is the framework that applies based off of you, not me. And your success and failure is not going to hinge on me. It's going to be on you executing these things because you said they were important to you and we're trying to accomplish these dreams together. Not doing anything, one of the great, you know, the most powerful forces in the world is inertia. So usually just not doing anything about it doesn't get anybody anywhere. So my job is to help you make sure that you're taking those steps, mostly that you see what steps you need to take, that it's clear. I empower you to understand. I'm doing my job. You'll understand the financial variables, the options that are available to you when you're trying to figure out what you need to do, and then just allow you to, to do that. If you have a want, what you're saying is it's a great idea to visualize your want and then step into a space where you make a plan. And maybe you don't need to contact an advisor. Maybe you could come up with it yourself, but it's really important to come up with a plan of how you're going to get that want, correct? Yeah. And what are some tools people can use in their planning process? I always say start with the basics. Cash flow and budget never goes out of style. The wealthiest people in the world have budgets, cash flow, P&L statements, like it doesn't go away. The more money you have doesn't mean you have to track it less. You need to know what's coming in and what's going out. And you need to have a way to systematically navigate that, right? To build from that, I think the next big thing is how do you give money a purpose? So now, you know, we've got what I'm spending things on, but now I need to give it purpose. I repeatedly ask the same question to everybody all the time, sometimes ad nauseum. What's the money for? Over and over, <laughs> what's the money for? And it's, well, what do you mean sometimes? Okay, we'll go back to retirement as an example. I say retirement is what this is for. Okay, great. That gives us something to define and it creates a framework that we can then apply. Okay, let's define retirement. 
let's put some meat on the strawberry alone. Let's figure out what we're going to do and get a context and make it so that way it's as practical as put a money sign to it, like dollars and cents over time. This is how much money you need to have at what point, how long it's going to last you. Once we really define the purpose, then that's where the strategy and the framework comes into play. Sometimes one of the ways that we're unsuccessful financially is we don't have purpose. Things just kind of come in and then we just kind of spend. We don't think about it, right? And then we look back, look at our budget and we're like, oh man, I spent $2,000 eating out when frankly would have been great to have had half of that back to go, I don't know, to Europe or whatever. So purposelessness and be a big issue. Then you got your plan and you execute. So once you know your purpose, you're going to have that drive and that motivation to move towards your plan. And then when it comes time to coming up with a plan on how to achieve your want, what do you suggest people do? I break things down as simply as I see them because I think the easier that we can make things for ourselves. And by the way, when I use the word simple, that's not a diminutive term. It just means that we're condensing things that don't need to be inherently complicated into things that are digestible for us to take action on. So I just break it down, make sure the concern areas, as I like to call them, are being addressed. We already talked about kind of daily money management, which is number one, right? If we're not good at budgeting, not going to be good at anything else. And we talk about kind of planning major expenses is another concern area because let's face it, a lot of major expenses in our lives aren't that planned. I want a car. Guess what? In a month, I can say, I want this and go out and get it. Now, whether or not that made a lot of sense for me and whether or not that was the best financial choice because I was strategic about it or not is another question. So having a plan for major purchases along the way is critical. Planning for the future is the big one. That's kind of saving and investing. Everybody gets jazzed about it, right? Because investing is all cool and hip. But again, we can save money for a lot of things. So that's where that vision and that purpose really has to come into play to define all of those things as strategically as possible. Now, the last area is planning for the unexpected. Risk happens. We can't pretend that it doesn't. So we have to consider what things could happen that would totally derail me and how do I want to address them. There's insurance for a lot of things. Doesn't mean we just go out and buy a ton of it, but you know, to find a way to protect ourselves from the risks that we need to protect ourselves from is critical. You address those four areas, you got a pretty solid framework for success. Oh, that sounds great. See, it sounds so attainable when you put it that way. There's only four things that you need to do. So you're pro-budget, 100%. I'll say it very dispassionately. I have in 15, well, 18 plus years of doing this financial, I have yet to see a living case study that I can't point to. This person was financially successful, but never budgeted in his or her life. I have yet to see that case study. The data, the raw data of experience, and I'm sure people track that, it just supports that it's a good, healthy thing to do. I think the problem, a lot of times, this gets into this emotion, right? How do we feel about it? And some people are not as good at it as others. I'll use myself, my family as an example. My wife is a type A, like she can find a speck of dust in a completely clean room. She's got the skill set to be really granular and good at that kind of stuff. I'm the opposite. I'm a big picture person, which is why I'm good at 
planning and seeing and visioning, I'm not always great with details. So we play to our strengths. You want to know what the budget is and where we are on it? I asked her and we connect, we play to each other's strengths. So if your concern about budgeting is because you're not good at it, that's where you can get help. Either again, if somebody else in your life good at it, get their help. If you're in a relationship, one of the two of you might be better at whatever it is, but find a way to not have it be something that you avoid doing just because you don't think you're good at. And just try it. I say, just try it even just once in your life. Absolutely. And see how it makes you feel, acknowledge the feeling, and then recognize what you need to do next. I bring this up because I just put together some budget spreadsheets on my Etsy shop. They're super easy to use. And I made them for this type of audience that sort of doesn't feel like budgeting or feels it's overwhelming. And this is just like a super pretty, yeah, it is pretty, super pretty and simple spreadsheet. What I say and what I've noticed when I work with people, doing it just even once will give you a huge, even just what you were saying, sorry, I should probably continue my sentence, huge perspective of what's going on with your money. Just do it, just do it even once. And then after that, you'll be able to say, okay, this is what's going on. And now how do I get to my wants? Even a simple thing like, what would you recommend if somebody wanted something that was of a smaller dollar amount? Okay, let's say $500, $1,000, $5,000. Nothing like huge looking like long-term into the future. The immediate wants. Like someone has a real desire for a certain material item. What would you recommend how to go about getting that? I mean, it starts with what we're talking about. Control the controllables. And I'll say this because this does come into this conversation, right? Our culture and this whole thing about need versus want. A lot of things that we say we want, we don't need in reality. Do I need the latest iPhone? Well, if my phone's working right now, the answer is no. Do I want the latest iPhone for reasons that might be personal to me? Maybe there's even an objective case that says, well, you know what? I should upgrade my phone or whatever. Maybe. But more often than not, a lot of these things are a lot about a want, not necessarily. Now, that doesn't make it wrong. Thank you. I agree. Totally okay to want things. It just helps us contextualize then what is the healthiest behavior pattern to pursue financially. So that way these wants don't interrupt all of the other things that I say are important to me as well, because I just kind of went out and did something the wrong way. That was a prelude to saying our culture tends to say, if you want it, you should be able to have it. Whether you can afford it or not, guess what? There's a few different ways to get things that you may not have the money now to afford. And sometimes we decide, well, well, that's simple. It's only $20 a month for however, right? We make it too easy on ourselves sometimes. We don't think of the financial consequences. So I think by starting with really assessing the want, but then stepping away from it enough to say, okay, whether it's a true blue need or whether it's a want, if I don't really have the capital now, what would be the easiest plan to accumulate it? So that way I can accomplish this, but know that it's not going to be a bad move for me financially. Most people don't ask that. They're not that pragmatic about it. Just by doing that, probably more often than not, will set you up for success. 
because then it's like, okay, kind of have a little bit of sense of our budget. So if I have some margin, maybe it's just as easy as directing that margin exclusively to this one thing for three months. And then I got enough set aside, true, I can make it happen. But it's not just leaning into, oh, let's just go do this or have this or buy this. Taking a second to step back and think about some of these things a little bit more thoughtfully. You don't have to become manic about it. It doesn't have to cause you anxiety. I think it's just having a bit of a breathing in and out once or twice and being more thoughtful about certain things. Yeah, I agree. That's wonderful. Just stepping back and saying, do I really want this? Is this what I want? Or is it what I think I should have or what everybody else has? Yeah. I mean, again, this is the therapist coming out of me. A lot of times, the other question I ask is, why? Yes. Why do you want it? And then I don't just stop at the first answer. We got to dig down. Let's really connect to what's at the core. Because sometimes by doing that, you realize that maybe this thing that we're setting out here for ourselves actually isn't the answer. Sometimes when you get to the core of certain things, maybe there's something else at play that actually, maybe it's not about a new phone. Maybe it's just about the fact that I keep getting into certain situations and I just don't understand how to use X, Y, and Z app on my current phone. Okay, well, we help you figure out how to use the technology you already have. You don't have to go out and buy something new. That's kind of a silly example, but literally sometimes being able to kind of look at our own motivations and get down to the bottom of things can be so powerful. And when you are that connected to yourself, that much more empowered at making good decisions and at follow through because you didn't just do something in the emotional moment, which oftentimes will lead to regret later, right? You got down to the core of who you are and you made a decision from that place. Those are the decisions that are far more motivating, lasting, and impactful. Yes. And it's almost like when you wait a little bit and you work towards something, it just feels, it's just so much juicier when you get it. Yeah. I guess we could call it kind of a lifestyle approach. There's probably a couple of different ways to categorize it, but the concept of being minimalists or minimalism, there's a minimalism movement and not to make it too deep. But I think the premise of a lot of it is to examine your stuff. There's the saying that the stuff that you own can end up owning you. And that's very true. I live in a downtown area in a very urban setting and right Caddy corner to our condo building is a big storage facility. And storage in the US is a booming business because what happens is we don't do what you and I have just talked about. We just go out, we accumulate a whole bunch of stuff. We don't get rid of it, but we don't use it. And then we store it. It's crazy. We're spending money on storage for things that we don't need, clearly don't want anymore. And yet we have. I mean, it's just, it's this modern day example of how much brokenness can come into these types of little decisions that we just don't think enough about. So not suggesting everybody go out and like embrace minimalism and get rid of all your stuff. Just have a better framework though of taking time to be thoughtful about these things. I'll use a family example that really, I'm emotionally connected to this story. One of the things my wife and I realized early on when you have a 
kid and both sets of grandparents are nearby. So it was easy to kind of hang out and stuff. Anyway, Christmas, the natural thing is you got this great grandkid. We want to just shower gifts on them, which is nice. But the reality is you give a kid 20 gifts, they really only care about two or three. So 17 of them just become space. And we didn't want that kind of a dynamic to be the setup, to be A, every time there's some kind of celebration, you get more gifts than you know what to do with. We didn't want to have that be the expectation, but we also really wanted gifts to be meaningful. So we helped, we kind of set the expectation with our families and guided that way. We're not going to do this massive gifts giving experience. We would rather you have one to two to three meaningful things yes. that our daughter can really connect to and maybe enjoy even with you. So that way it's not going to be a gift explosion. And a year later, we're donating 90% of this stuff. That's been really meaningful because, yeah, we've avoided all of what I described, but also I feel like she's gotten so much out of the things that she actually has received. And it's not just the gift itself. There's also now this connection to the giver that's really magical. So again, just being really thoughtful about all of this stuff, we free ourselves up so much because when the stuff that we actually decide, yeah, this does have meaning and value and we let that into our lives and we say no to a lot of the rest of it, guess what? Our life has more meaning and more value and less stress. We can walk into our rooms and realize there's not all this stuff that we're like, man, we should get rid of all this. Imagine not feeling that way. I feel like that all the time. I've actually Marie Kondoed my house there four years ago. My husband thought it was crazy, but we didn't have a lot of stuff to begin with. But yeah, like now I'm at the point where everywhere I turn, I love what I see. And even people that come into my home, they feel that energy. They feel the love in every single corner of my house and they feel so welcome. And I mean, that's what I obviously want. And yeah, it just feels so nice to be able to be in that type of environment and everything has its place. And, you know, it literally takes me like 20 minutes to tidy my whole entire house, which is like fantastic and easy because everything is in its loved place. So I know what you're talking about, the purging and the letting go and making sure every corner feels good. And then it just frees up so much time to do other things instead of decluttering and cleaning up and organizing and looking for things. It just takes time to do. Well, and here's the other side of it, right? So we'll bring it back to financially, right? You end up spending less money. You mm -hmm. take better care of what you have. You make what you have last longer. I think one of the big tragedies of American consumerism is the amount that we get waste, the amount of clothing waste. I grew out of it. It has a whole whenever. It doesn't take much and we throw something out. And then we just go out because we can. You can buy a new one like that. Amazon lets you get everything you don't need at your fingertips and at your doorstep, right? So taking care of the stuff that you have, to your point, like we have a 11, 1200 square foot condo. So we're space constrained intentionally. There's only so much room and we're not going to fill it up. And it's really funny because it happens all the time. And I give my wife all the credit. And by the way, we love Marie Kondo as well. I give her all the credit. People come into our condo that are like new to the building and see it for the first time. And every time there's, this feels like it's a show condo for the whole building. Cause it's just, my wife has just done an amazing job of keeping it meticulous, clean. And there's just not a lot of stuff around there. It just looks really nice. You have a good energy when you go in and it's just welcoming. It's like a breath of fresh air. 
It's like what you were describing your home. And that kind of energy is what we promulgate or the opposite. I've heard so many stories with people and clients where going through this process of just, they're describing being stressed out. And when we get down really to the bottom of this, you have all this stuff that's in your way. Yeah. Let's just go through a process of letting it all go, getting rid of it. Let's pare your life down so you can get back to a sense of balance and peace. What if someone has so many wants and they just feel like they're just constantly wanting things, but all they can do is support their needs and they can't get to anything that they want? I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, prioritize and figure out your number one thing and focus on that first. Or we know those kind of people that are out there. They're just like, I want this. What's that about? So I might surprise you with this answer. I actually would take someone through a process of discovering themselves and getting to their core values. Who are you? When I hear that, or when I see something like what you described in practice, the first thing that actually registers to me is it's an identity problem. It's not a financial problem. It's not a want problem. Someone's probably disconnected to their sense of self, or they have some brokenness in their sense of self that this is a manifestation of. And again, no, I'm not a therapist, but I minored in psychology and I spend probably half my time constantly learning about behavioral economics because this is a tool that I want in my tool belt. But mental health is key to all of this. So we could do an entire episode on mental health and how it relates to my, but we won't. But I would say, let's just get connected to how do you see yourself? And a lot of times, and I'm not going to overgeneralize, but more often than not, I have found people to be valued-centered, value-centered, right? I have certain beliefs and things that are values that I hold dear that make up my identity. Problem is, a lot of times we get so disconnected from that and then we just kind of lean into that disconnectedness that now it's like we're excessive in certain areas of our life and we don't even understand why. And it causes us stress because we just don't realize that the real issue is we are disconnected from our So I'll give you an example of what I mean, though, when I talk about being value-centered. One of my values is family. There's a period in time in my professional life, especially running an independent financial practice, where the entire industry tells you at certain stages that you've got to work twice as many hours and grind it out and all this other stuff. And the reality of living that way is that I couldn't actually take good care of my family because I wasn't around enough to do that. And it was a big awakening to me to say, you know what? No, family's first, not money, job, success, blah, 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 blah. That's what I really valued. So I completely reorganized my life, my calendar, set a lot of great boundaries. And guess what happened? Recentering myself because of what I was valued actually made me more successful. I got connected to a framework of success that I think the biggest part was just I actually became comfortable in my own skin again. And I operated from that place of peace. I didn't try to stretch myself to do things that I don't really, I never will regret the money I didn't make. I will regret the time I don't spend with the people I care the most about. Of course. And so just making that shift meant this is the amount of time I have to do work. I better crush it in this amount of time because when I'm done with work, I'm going to go home and I'm going to be there for the people I care about the most. My clients, everybody understands that because they feel the same way. They value it too. Nobody wants to work late nights or on the weekends or whatever. 
If you were to write down five things that are the most important to you, what would you write? I have something called the financial priority wheel in chapter two of my book. And I ask you to do that exact same thing. There's eight. It's following the life coaching wheel of life. And instead, here you're going to determine what you value spending your money on. So I like people to go in and pinpoint where they are right now, scale of one to 10 on that value. Then tell me where you want to be. And so this is going to give you a perspective of, okay, what do I need to focus on first? Is it family? Is it paying off debt? Is that what I want to be putting my money towards right now? Is it healthier eating, exercise? And so then when it comes down to going out and living your everyday life, and we just naturally spend and consume, sometimes without even thought, but having this wheel or your values in front of you, you'll be able to say, okay, yes, today I can spend on this because this is a part of my value system. This is what I want to be spending my money on. I think it's really important. I don't think people do this enough. And they think, oh yeah, I'll do it later. Or yeah, I know what my values are. Do you find a lot of people kind of just say that, but then when you like straight out ask them, it's kind of hard to define eight. When you can be as passionate as possible about your money, because you can now see a direct if A then B line from these are the behaviors necessary to achieving the life that I want to live with the people that I want to live it with, doing the things that I want to do the most, then it's, well, you can't be disconnected from the tools essential to to getting there. We're coming full circle back to budget. What do they say, right? Take a look at how you spend your time and your money and tells you a lot about who you are and what you think is important. Mm-hmm. Well, a budget, before you really get into having it be something that you use to forecast and make decisions, usually you're just reconciling how you've spent. Yes. A lot of times it hits you right in the face. You're like, oh, wow. If somebody were just to judge the things that I think are important based on my spending habits, do I think that's the best reflection of who I am as a person? And again, talk to yourself. Like a lot of times I don't have to say anything. Just look at things for yourself and you're like, oh yeah, I see it now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. We could probably keep talking forever. We better cut this out pretty soon here. So Thank you so much for being on the show, Brian. Thanks for giving us this great insight on how to get our wants. And yes, it's okay to have them. Where can people find you? I'd like to say I'm a very findable Google person. My company's website is thehaneycompany.com. That's Haney spelled H-A-N-E-Y. I have my own podcast. If you want to listen to some great financial episodes and some non- you can look up the Haney Company Financial Guy Show on anywhere podcasts are listened to and definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably the place in the quote unquote social media space I'm active the most and would love to connect and just always here to help as many people as I possibly can. So hopefully I have. Thank you so much, Brian. It was so nice meeting you. So nice talking to you today. Likewise. This was great. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so I hope this episode helped you uncover a path towards fulfilling your needs while also finding a way to have your wants. To learn more about Brian Haney and his podcast, be sure to check the show notes for additional information. In our next episode, we'll get into another essential key, the power of credit. Join us as we explore the significance of credit, understanding credit scores, and effectively leveraging credit to achieve your financial goals. It's an episode you won't want to miss. If you found this episode valuable, please leave a review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from it. 
Thanks again for listening. Now it's time to take action. Get out there and put together a plan on how to fulfill some of those wants.